This is Trump Watch. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on 90.7 KPFK, talking about what Trump is actually doing, not just what he's tweeting. Later in this hour, inside a Border Patrol detention center for immigrant children, Zoe Carpenter of The Nation will report on what she saw in McAllen, Texas. Also, the battle in the courts over detaining immigrant children, Ahilan Arulanatham of the ACLU of Southern California will explain. First up, Harold Meyerson with the latest on the Washington politics of family separation. Trump Watch starts right now. Well, yesterday Trump signed that executive order that he said ended the policy of separating children from their parents crossing the border. For comment, we turn to Harold Meyerson. Of course, he's executive editor of the American Prospect and a regular contributor to the LA Times op-ed page. We reached him today in our nation's capital. Harold, welcome back. Always good to be here, John. So this reversal on family separation is a defeat for Trump. How big a defeat is it? Oh, I, I think it's it's very big. Uh, he, you know, this is not a guy who likes to uh, reverse field. Uh, he has to deny he's reversing field when he does reverse field, which is what he did uh, in this instance. But uh, you know, the, 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 he he finally. Uh, succeeded in alienating, uh, strongly alienating, uh, everybody except the Republican base. Uh, the polling showed that uh, it was pretty uniform polling, either 67 or 68 percent of the American public uh, uh, opposed this, strongly opposed this, only 28 percent in both polls uh, favored it. And uh, th- th- I-, I really think this is going to have a, a significant impact in November voting. I think uh, many of the swing districts in play are districts with upper middle class Republican moderates and endangered species, but still extant. And uh, I, you know, I think they're going to go the route of uh, Steve Schmidt, the uh, Republican consultant who was the campaign manager for John McCain in 2008 when he ran against Barack Obama, who uh, yesterday said, "That does it. I'm leaving the Republican Party. I don't think these people are necessarily leaving the Republican Party, but I don't think." Republican House members in swing districts are, uh, you know, I, I think they're pretty nervous uh, as a result of the uh, absolutely appalling uh, policies the administration's been pursuing on, on family separation. Well, I want to talk more about the poli- politics of all this, but first I want to get into the weeds a little bit on what's actually going on. Do you know what this executive order does? I'm I'm not sure. You know, I was just uh, cruising uh, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal uh, websites on that. Just the coverage of the last six hours on what this means in policy terms, and uh, it's clear we have hit maximum uh, unfeasible confusion uh, at this moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, on on the one hand, uh, the, the the policy says, okay, we will detain uh, the, the parents and their children together. But of course, there's a court order from 1997 that says you can't really detain children in, in, in any form of, of, of you know, uh, prison-like custody. And for, more than so, 20, for more than 20 days. For more than 20 days, yes. So um, uh, the Border Patrol, uh, responding to this and saying we don't have any place to put these people, in the last few hours has said, well, we're just not going to 
prosecute the the parents uh, when they come in with their kids in federal court. Essentially, we're going to do what Trump uh, refers to as catch and release. The Justice Department says, no, we're not going to do that. One of these news sources says this is a decision that's really up to the Border Patrol, not the Justice Department. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, uh, the uh, administration is... is uh, conscripting military facilities in uh, hopes of being able to come up with accommodations for 20,000 children. So put that all together, and you have a completely incoherent mess, which is exactly what you would expect uh, after, you know, the administration, which denied that it had any control over family separation, uh, just said, well, everything we said in the last month is invalid, but uh, we don't. We're not going to acknowledge that everything we said in the last month is invalid. But actually, it is, uh, and we're going to end the policy. But uh, the, the bottom line is they don't quite know how, uh, and there's there's disputes now over whether uh, uh, the policy includes reuniting the children already separated from their parents back with their parents. Uh, one, uh, someone in the Justice Department said, no, we're not going to do that. And someone in the Justice Department said, yes, we are going to do that. So, uh, <laughs> yes, I, I, like you, have tried to follow this uh, today, and it's, uh, it's, it's steady work, I have to say. It sure the hell uh, is. Yeah. Uh, there was that, uh, there, there was, at one point, it seemed like the spokesman for the Department of Health and Human Services uh, was definitively saying, quote, there will not be a grandfathering of existing cases under the new executive order, that it, it is prospective, not retrospective, uh, and that that decision, he said, had been made by the White House itself. Uh, but as you say, other people have said the opposite. Uh, there's also a lot of reporting, uh, some of which we're going to get later in this show from the nation, Zoe Carpenter, about doesn't seem like they really are prepared to I, to connect children with their parents who are in different parts of the country now and uh, a lot of uh, they're they're unprepared they're unprepared for this normally if you were yeah, doing yeah. something let's just say you were ran a college and you wanted to increase enrollment of students living on campus first you would build the dorms then you would admit the more students it seems like it never occurred to them that if they had a quote zero tolerance policy of criminally charging everyone apprehended for crossing the border even for misdemeanors that they were going to need a lot of places to put these people including their their families but that trump i think incompetence is is one of the issues here don't well, you actually actually you know there is the sheer evil of the policy yeah. but now they are exhibiting a katrina like incompetence uh as the bush administration did during hurricane katrina you know i mean swell job brownie said uh, <laughs> uh, george w bush to the head of fema who uh, couldn't find his uh, shoes if his life depended on it and uh, that's what we're seeing now, which is also, to a certain degree, it's even worse than the Bush administration, uh, the result of hiring a, a large collection of nincompoops. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, this is not exactly uh, an administration which has been staffed with uh, super competent people. It's been staffed with ideologues and hacks. Uh, who are, are the kind of people who wouldn't realize if you're going to expand enrollment at a college, you got to build the dorms first. <laughs> so after Trump said that an executive order couldn't do anything, he signed an executive order. He also said that uh, uh, Congress has to solve this problem, and there 
was a bill in Congress today which seems to have been abandoned, and I, I assume it's, this bill is going to go nowhere. Tomorrow is Friday. People go home on Friday to their to their districts. Uh, what what is the bill that that uh, that failed today? Well, uh, it, it may well be brought up tomorrow, uh, uh, but there was a bill that failed today, which was the far right Goodlatte bill, which only got 193 votes needing 218, uh, which is to say the more centrist Republicans joined with the Democrats to say this is appalling. It was, you know, a very strict anti-immigrant uh, nativist uh, bill. Now, the, the compromise so-called uh, bill, uh, you know, required spending $25 billion on the border wall. It eliminated, uh, mig- you know, migration from uh, relatives of people already here, the families of people already here. Uh, it eliminated the diversity requirement, which is the only way that people from small nations uh, can legally immigrate. Uh, and it gave a very circuitous, uh, not very secure route for the dreamers to eventually become citizens uh, if they, uh, you know, earned enough, uh, were, you know, uh, had good moral character, and if the wind was from the east. Uh, so. Uh, that said, uh, the so-called House Freedom Caucus, the far right, still views this bill as amnesty, and they've been getting into uh, arguments today with Paul Ryan, the speaker. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump kind of threw cold water on it. He said, well, you know, the Democrats in the Senate are going to filibuster it anyway, so why even bother? So it still looks like it may be voted on tomorrow. I think that what you know, the question this raises is, those brave Republican moderates who, uh, uh, you know, uh, put forth the discharge petition to force a vote simply on legalizing the Dreamers, with a few other things thrown in, which would every Democrat signed on to and 23 Republicans signed on to, which fell too short. They said, well, okay, we'll withdraw it because we know we're getting votes. And, you know, I mean, okay, uh, even if they get the vote, it's, it's going nowhere. Uh, will these uh, Republican moderates, who uh, I think Barney Frank once said, a Republican moderate is always there when you don't need him, <laughs> um, uh, will will they uh, do a discharge? Try to do a discharge petition again, having uh, the whole world see that there is no alternative route through the House uh, to pass a, a, a decent bill except that. So, in another know, part of. Some of these folks are, some of these, you know, dischargers are Republicans in swing districts in California, uh, Mm. uh, from northern L.A. County, and uh, uh, Jeff Denham and David Valadao from the San Joaquin Valley. So, you know, I think the ball goes back in their court again, and let's see if they are gutless wonders or want to actually try again. And and there are other Republicans uh, who want to run on the fact that they uh, stood up to the demands for amnesty and they didn't go along with the Democrats who want open borders. Um, and that's what we call the base. And there's quite a few of them in the House, not, not enough, but uh, they're concerned about their own political futures because they don't want to be accused of favoring amnesty. And, you know, that's a little far out for most, certainly for the Republicans in California yeah. who currently represent districts that uh, Hillary Clinton carried in 2016. Um, but one of them who uh, doesn't represent that swing of district, but possibly a district, uh, uh, Tom McClintock, who is sort of a, uh, a right-wing uh, character from um, 
the northeast corner of California, including a few exurbs of Sacramento, uh, pretty much has signed on with that. Went down to the border and uh, said, uh, you know, the main thing is you guys shouldn't, uh, you know, violate the law by crossing. He didn't condemn family separation. He was just uh, excoriating them. So, you know, I mean, if there's uh, some residual decency in that quadrant of California, well, uh, he does have a Democratic opponent. We'll see if that has some effect. So the broader politics of all this is what, uh, where we, what we think about immigration. And there was that, that new Gallup poll that showed that a record high 75% of Americans, including majorities of Republicans as well as Democrats, say immigration is a good thing for the United States. This is more than last year and more than the year before that the proportion of them of of the public that considers immigration a bad thing is 19 percent uh trump has bet on this idea uh that that zero tolerance uh is a viable political strategy for for the republican party uh zero tolerance I mean, in the abstract, well, if you break the law, you should be held responsible. But what this means in practice, we have learned in the last couple of days, is that everyone uh, apprehended crossing the border will be charged with violating federal uh, criminal, the federal criminal code and put on trial in a federal court. Uh, this entitles them to various due process guarantees. Cause well, and, yeah, and what is particularly absurd about that is the, the the crime is officially a misdemeanor. Yeah, it's not a felony. Uh, and and you know if you're convicted, uh, you uh, you know the the sentence is time already served, and they send you back to whence you ca- came from, instead of you know the old policy was just sending you back to whence you came from, or if you applied for asylum, you you know that goes through the process. So um, uh, I mean <laughs> the whole thing. Is 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 mainly for show, and the the show is to impress the Republican base, which, as you just pointed out on this issue, is about nineteen percent <laughs> of the American public. Uh, but you know, the Republicans are you know, I mean, this this is the this is the sort of the cumulative effect of that base uh, moving off in space, uh, getting their non non informative information from Fox News and talk radio and. Uh, you know, uh, online uh, nonsense, uh, and and it's kind of a, a closed little universe which has its own values and codes, and uh, you know, you know, I mean, it, it's not exactly an expansive political strategy or ultimately a winning political strategy, uh, because when you try to propitiate that base and you know rev up that base and make sure that base is enraged, uh, it is still, I think, going to be too small. For the Republicans to prevail in November. Well, Harold, you don't seem to be concerned about the fact that these people crossing the border are criminals, drug dealers, rapists, and murderers sent to us by by Mexico. Would you not care? What 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 can we make well, of? I'm, I, I, I do think I, 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 there's one immigrant who I I do think we should deport, and okay. I think he has uh, uh, really abraded and and. Uh, Debased the the fabric of American life and American society much more fundamentally than the uh, 
the gangsters in in MS13, and I refer, of course, to Rupert Murdoch. Ah, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to deport someone, I think he should be sent back to Australia. And I'm 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 big on family separation too. I mean, keep keep his son James, who is reported to be a critic of you know where Fox News has been going for the last twenty years. Leave James here to dismantle, you know, the current setup at Fox News. Uh, I mean, that's a family separation we can all get behind. So uh, I think sending Rupert to Australia and uh, uh, keeping James here to uh, take over Fox would 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 would, would be that's an you know, in addition to legalizing the undocumented and everything else, I think that's. That that's the kind of Im- uh, immigration uh, hard line that uh, that we can get behind. A modest, a modest proposal. Indeed, uh, I, indeed. I, I would just add, just to go the step of taking seriously the fact that, uh, uh, just for the sake of argument, if you wanted to apprehend drug dealers crossing the border. You would not arrest and imprison on misdemeanor charges every woman with a couple of kids. You would focus your resources on the problem cases. I just thought I'd t- toss this out. Just yeah, that, that, there's a certain uh, sense to that. I think uh, you know. I, I I think one can make a very good case <laughs> for that. Indeed. Uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to bring up one other thing. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, who's worked so hard to defend this policy. Uh, she uh, ate dinner at a Mexican restaurant in your town, Washington, earlier this week, and protesters heckled her, chanting shame and end family separation. Uh, did you consider that rude and uh, in- intolerable? Or I thought it was great. And, and more to the point, you know, the, the other diners in the restaurant, who I'm sure didn't realize she was there, uh, applauded, uh, <laughs> applauded them. This, 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 this strikes me as a really exemplary protest. Uh, the, the owner of the restaurant said these people weren't disruptive. There was no threat of violence. Uh, they just uh, chanted for a while. This is actually uh, the uh, D.C. chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. Well, apparently one of their number, uh, I'm actually one of their number, too, but one of their number was uh, eating in the restaurant, uh, uh, spied uh, uh, Secretary Nielsen, uh, uh, tweeted out a thing, and about 15 people uh, nearby assembled. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think it was, and, and it, the, the really absurd thing is that the Homeland Security Department put out the most nothing statement about it, saying, well, you know, we welcome sharing views. Uh, <laughs> what we do. Oh, I mean, uh, good Lord. So anyway, I thought uh, that was a general, I think, you know, for those of us in D.C., that was a genuinely uplifting moment of which there haven't been nearly enough. Harold Meyerson, read him at prospect.org. Thank you, Harold. Always great to have you on the show. Great to be here, John. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on 90.7 KPFK with Trump Watch and the TrumpWatchPodcast.com. Next up, inside a Border Patrol children's detention facility, Zoe Carpenter of The Nation will report on what she saw. That's in a minute on KPFK when Trump Watch continues. It's the same old story. I'm John Wiener. This is Trump Watch. We're live in L.A. on KPFK and streaming at kpfk.org. 
online anytime you want it at trumpwatchpodcast.com. Later in this hour, the ACLU's litigation against Trump's detention of children and families. We'll speak with Ahilan Arulanatham of the ACLU of Southern California. But first, Zoe Carpenter, she went inside one of the Border Patrol's so-called processing facilities in Texas, where immigrants are taken after being apprehended at the border and where children are now being held separately from their parents. Zoe Carpenter is the nation's associate Washington editor. She worked previously for Rolling Stone. She's appeared on MSNBC, CNN, and Start Making Sense, the nation magazine's weekly podcast. We reached her today in Washington. Zoe Carpenter, welcome back. Nice to talk to you again, John. Well, uh, we, we need to talk about what's next for the children who were taken away for their parents. But first, let's talk about what you saw on Sunday. You went to McAllen, Texas. Tell us about that. Sure. So McAllen is in the Rio Grande Valley, and it's the busiest um, part of the border in terms of the number of people crossing. And most of those people who are apprehended by the Border Patrol wind up at this particular processing facility in McAllen, um, which is um, often called Ursula after the street that it's on. But it's also been nicknamed the Dog Kennel. The Dog um, Kennel. Like the Dog Kennel, yeah. And, you know, that's a loaded name, but I actually think it's pretty accurate in describing what it looks like inside. It's a 77,000 square foot facility, so it's very large. Um, separated into two main areas, and then further separated by these chain-link fenced enclosures, um, sort of like a dog run. Mm. Um, and when I was there on Sunday, there were more than 1,100 people in the processing facility, and that included um, family units and children who had come across the border alone. It included men and women on their own, and it did also include some children who'd been separated from their parents, although um, we weren't able to figure out which children those were or how many of them were there because they were they're kept with the um, unaccompanied children. And how did you get into this Border Patrol processing facility? Did you just knock on the door and say, I'd like to look around? Not exactly. Um, that same day on Sunday, there was a group of members of Congress, Democrats, who were going to tour that facility. And sort of um, at the last minute, the Border Patrol decided to give a press tour to a small group of, of reporters, and I was able to be part of that tour. Um, it's not clear to me whether that was an attempt to preempt whatever the Democratic lawmakers would say, trying to make sure reporters had a view of the facility that the Border Patrol could control somewhat. Um, I, I don't really know the motivation for letting reporters in, but it was definitely a, a controlled tour. Um, we were given, I, I think, about 25 minutes of access, and we weren't allowed to interview any of the children who were there. And what did the Border Patrol agents who were uh, conducting your controlled tour tell you about the, the facility? Well, um, they described what it's used for, which is essentially the initial processing. So people come in after they've been apprehended, and then it's determined what's going to happen to them. If they're going to be criminally prosecuted um, under the so-called zero-tolerance policy, that decision gets determined there. Um, and so that's when the family separations actually happen, and they're happening in that facility as the parents get processed out, as they go to federal court. Um, their children would be taken for that from them. There are some reports of children being taken 
um, before the parents actually leave the facility. So you have parents and children who might be in the facility for a couple of days, but they'd be held separately from each other. Hmm. And uh, what do we know about how the the dog kennel that you visited in McAllen, Texas, compares to other places immigrant children are, are being held? Well, first I should say that I haven't been inside of the shelters where the children are being held, but I think the main difference is that the processing facility is meant to be a very temporary um, holding stop for, mm-hmm. for the children and the adults. The adults aren't supposed to stay there for more than 12 hours, and the children not for more than 72 hours. Although because the system is so overloaded, um, there are many cases where people are staying longer than, than those time frames. Um, so it's a very sparse space. Um, the children who were held in these pens had mats and blankets to lie on the floor. Many of them were sleeping with the blankets pulled tightly over their heads because the lights never go off. Mm. Um, but there weren't toys or books, um, and there were only four social workers for 200 children at the point that I was there. So it's, you know, I think the shelters have a few more amenities uh, because they're set up for longer stays. There's that tent city that we've seen at least some aerial pictures of in Tornillo, uh, Texas, the one that that Laura Bush got uh, upset about and wrote that op-ed for the Washington Post. Uh, I'm sure you've read about it, too. What, what What's your sense of life in a place like that? Well, you know, hard to say since they haven't really been giving access to that facility. Um, we've been told that there's air conditioning and that there are, you know, military-issued tents, so they're not just flimsy camping tents, but it's very hot outside. So if you can imagine if your choice is to either be outside in 105 degrees or to be confined in a small tent, that's not a very rich environment for, for a child. And uh, First Lady Melania Trump, went to McAllen, Texas today, the same place that you were on Sunday. Uh, her trip was to vis- visit um, not the um, the detention and processing center of the Border Patrol that you, uh, that you saw, but to go to a Lutheran social services facility uh, where 60 children are housed. Um, do you know anything about that, or do you have any comment on, on her trip? I mean, the whole thing is just ludicrous. She's going down there to, what, do a fact-finding mission about this crisis that her own husband has created and could put a stop to um, quite easily, but even with his executive order, still hasn't quite managed to make it better. I mean, I just, obviously, it's an attempt to show concern and caring, but um, the whole thing is just transparently a farce. Uh, yeah, officially, the video that they released showed her thanking the the shelter workers for the sacrifices they are making. Of course, as you point out, this is because of her husband's uh, uh, executive order. Uh, so it was a you know a kind of a what we call a media event. Um, uh, I think. Uh, well, the big question that we're hoping you can help us answer is how are the kids that you saw at what they called the dog kennel in McAllen, Texas, going to be reunited with their parents? How's that going to work? I mean, that's the million-dollar question. Yeah. That's what everyone is asking, and no one um, has a clear and general answer for it. You know, I actually just wrote a piece this afternoon, published it this afternoon, um, asking that very question and looking at, at that. And basically what happens is these children are 
sent to a completely different branch of the federal bureaucracy as their parents are. Um, and once they're separated from their parents, they're treated the same as unaccompanied children, as if they had come here without parents at all. And so they're in a completely separate track, and they need their own lawyers. They have different legal cases from their parents. Um, so they're in this legal system that is already overloaded with truly unaccompanied kids um, before this crisis of separation really hit in early May, already about 60% of unaccompanied kids did not have access to lawyers. So this just compounds the problem. Um, In terms of reunification, the attorneys and advocates who are trying to help these children and parents are saying that there's really just nothing standardized. You might get a caseworker working for the government who is dedicated to a particular case, um, but it's really happening on an individualized basis and there's no general process. And perhaps not even really any tracking that's going on when a parent and child is separated to to mark down that that parent has a child and that that child is a parent. Uh, in the piece that you just posted, I guess it's only in the last hour at thenation.com, you talk about a woman from El Salvador who you call Maria, and she has a lawyer, Efren Olivares, who you talked to and who had talked to her. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, so... This morning, she was brought to a federal courtroom in McAllen after being held at this dog kennel facility. Um, She's been brought there to be charged with illegal entry, which is what most of the people being charged under zero tolerance um, are are facing. And then the charges against her and 16 other parents were dropped with no explanation, um, which seems like good news on the face of it. Maybe the executive order is um, encouraging some prosecutors to be more lenient with parents. Um, however, you know, the more important point is that she has no idea where her son is. Uh. She, she, was, she was brought to the McAllen facility on Monday and then was separated from her son within that facility, and they were kept separately in that facility. Um, and by now, because it's been more than 72 hours, her son has probably been put into the custody of HHS and the Office of Refugee Resettlement, and she has no idea where to reach him or how to reach him. Now, um, according to the, uh, the Border Patrol, the, you can call the Office of Refugee Resettlement. ORR has a hotline to answer these questions. Uh, have you tried to call it? Does it work? Can you find out where a specific kid is? What, what advocates are saying is that parents, when they call... Um, are encountering what one advocate described as a black hole. They're mm. getting put on hold and forced to wait for a long time. And when you're in an immigration detention center, you don't often have much access to a phone. Often it's expensive, um, you have a limited time, so these parents can't really wait on hold to talk to someone who may or may not have information about their children. And uh, the uh, NewYorker.com reported today that... Uh it's quite possible that some parents have already been deported while their kids are somewhere in the United States at a detention facility. Uh, Can you tell us anything more about that? Well, not only is it possible, but we've already had, you know, reports of that actually happening. The New York Times had a story about a Guatemalan woman, I believe, who was deported while her child was still in U.S. custody. And again, this is the problem with placing children and their parents in separate legal tracks is that some of these parents are facing expedited deportation, so that process might happen very quickly. Whereas for the children, HHS's mission is to find them sponsors 
and, and to get them released to these sponsors, which are either relatives or family members. And then the process for the children usually takes quite a bit longer. Um, and so we're on very different timelines here and without much coordination. We saw last night on MSNBC, um, Rachel Maddow showed some footage originally taped by the NY1 news channel of footage shot in the middle of the night of a group of girls. They looked like, I don't know, they were four or five in East Harlem being sort of hustled uh, out of a building and into a van. And Mayor de Blasio appeared outside that facility later and uh, said he had not been informed about this, but apparently more than 300 or 350 or something like that little girls have been flown to New York City for resettlement. And and uh, the Washington Post has posted a map of all the places in the United States where we now believe uh, children separated from their parents under this policy have been sent, and it's all over the place. It's Seattle, Los Angeles, you know, Boston. Um, do you know anything more about that? It's very much a breaking story at this hour. Yeah, I mean, certainly there is plenty of evidence that the children have been sent all over the country, and that creates obvious obstacles for reunification. Um, so it's just a, a real a giant mess at this point. So what? Uh, what uh, obviously the Trump administration doesn't know uh, what's next. What's next for uh, for us in in uh, in reporting this story? Well, I think the main questions right now, besides reunification, are what happens with the executive order that Trump signed last night. There are a lot of conflicting reports today about whether um, parents are still being prosecuted, whether separations um, are still happening. And, you know, the biggest question is about detention. The point of the executive order seems to be um, to put families together indefinitely in detention, which raises all sorts of legal and human rights concerns um, and almost certainly violates the Flores Agreement, which sets up the minimum standards um, of care and treatment for children in federal custody. So there's a question about whether the Flores Agreement will be reopened in the courts. Um, Obviously, the prospect of having what amounts to internment camps for immigrants on federal property on military bases um, is extremely concerning. And so that's the next aspect of the story to watch. So a carpenter, you can read the piece just posted a half an hour ago at thenation.com. The Trump administration still has no plans to reunite families torn apart. Zoe Carpenter at thenation.com. Zoe, thanks for your work on this, and thanks for talking with us today. Nice talking with you. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on 90.7 KPFK, and this is Trump Watch. Now it's time for your Minnesota moment. That's news from my hometown of St. Paul. Yesterday, Donald Trump did two big things, the one we've been talking about. He signed an executive order, he said, ending family separation at the border. And the second big thing that he did was he went to Duluth. He was campaigning for the Republican candidate for the open house seat on the Iron Range in northern Minnesota. Uh, the Democratic Party in Minnesota is called the DFL, Democratic Farmer Labor Party. The DFL incumbent up there right now is fighting very hard against Trump on this policy. It's a guy named Rick Nolan. He decided not to run for re-election to the House, but instead to run for lieutenant governor. This is a district Trump carried in 2016 by something like 17 points. But the DFL candidate, Rick Nolan, incumbent, held the seat anyway. 
So it's now listed by the experts on this as, uh, as a toss-up. Uh, it's one of the few open seats where Republicans have a chance of taking one held by the Democrats. It's also a very unusual district because it includes the Iron Range, one of the few places in the United States where there are iron mines. They've been iron, mining iron in northern Minnesota for more than a hundred years in these giant uh, open pit mines. Now it's processed as a lower grade ore is processed as a uh, ore called taconite uh, and sent through the Great Lakes to American steel mills in Gary, Indiana, and other places. So the Republicans and Trump have been arguing that Trump's tariffs on Chinese and Canadian steel will bring more jobs to the district, to Ely, to Chisholm, to Eveleth, and also to the ore docks where the boats are loaded in Silver Bay, in Two Harbors, and in Duluth. Uh, Trump filled a Duluth hockey arena last night with 9,000 cheering followers I have to say his speech was not much about tariffs bringing jobs, and he barely mentioned the family separation policy. Mostly uh, his speech was a list of complaints about the things that make him mad. He said he was mad that the media have not given him more credit for meeting Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader. He was mad that uh, the media has focused on migrant children instead of on the uh, inspector general's report about the FBI's decision not to charge Hillary Clinton with crimes. Uh, he was mad that he has to, he said that he has to share some of the credit for the good economy with Barack Obama. Uh, he's mad that the media does, doesn't focus on the size of his crowds as much as he thinks they should. Uh, he was mad about a bunch of protesters who interrupted his speech. Uh, he had a long list of things that he's unhappy about. My favorite one was that he's not considered part of the nation's elite. He asked, quote, you ever notice that they always call the other side the elite? Why are they elite? He said, quote, I have a much better apartment than they do. I'm smarter than they are. I'm richer than they are. I became president and they didn't. Close quote, the president of the United States. Donald Trump in Duluth yesterday. This has been your Minnesota Moment. It's a special feature of Trump Watch on KPFK. Next up, the ACLU's battles in court over the future of Trump's orders detaining immigrant children and their parents, Ahilan Arulanatham of the ACLU of Southern California will report, that's in a minute, on KPFK when Trump Watch continues. It's the same old story. This is Trump Watch. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on KPFK, streaming at kpfk.org and online anytime you want it at trumpwatchpodcast.com. Coming up at four tonight on KPFK, this is happening Jerry quickly. But first, the ACLU has been fighting Trump's immigration policies and Obama's before him in the courts for an update on the legal status of Trump's new executive order and the issues around it. We turn to Ahilan Arulanatham. He's legal director of the ACLU of Southern California and the recipient of a MacArthur Genius Grant. Ahilan, welcome back. Thanks for having me, John. 
Well, let's start with the executive order Trump signed yesterday. Uh, I'm having a little trouble understanding exactly what it says, and we're hoping that you can explain exactly what it says and does. Well, I'm, I'm also having trouble understanding what it says, okay. uh, and I'm in good company in that regard. So is the Border Patrol, so is the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, it is, it's not very clear. Um, but I think uh, it, it could be read, I think, to, to end the horrific uh, family separations policy that we have seen for people, at least when they're not in criminal custody. So uh, and the government was separating people even who presented themselves at the border. So they hadn't broken any law, and they were coming with their children and asking for asylum, and the government was separating those people. I think it, it uh, you know, probably ends that. Uh, it, it also, I think, ends when people are in immigration custody and family separation there, too, uh, although that's less clear. Uh, what, it, what it doesn't clearly end is the separating of parents from children when the government is prosecuting them for having crossed over the border in order to seek asylum. Uh, and I think it really remains to be seen how that part's going to be implemented. And so there's a potentially very large driver of family separation. Yeah, I mean, no, normally, normally in the United States, so these people are, uh, the, the zero tolerance policy uh, requires uh, charging people apprehended for crossing the border with a, a violating of a criminal offense and charging them in federal court, bringing them to trial in federal court, which gives them various due process rights in the United States of America. On the other hand, normally in criminal trials in America, uh, uh, people who are in prison because they can't make bail uh, don't have their children with them in prison. So uh, we're, we uh, Trump faces a dilemma here, I believe. That's right. I think that, that dilemma is created by the fact that this is not normally charged criminal conduct. And it was very rare prior to the Trump administration that a person who crosses the border in the desert uh, but has, has um, then turns themselves into Border Patrol and asks for asylum, because that's most commonly what's happening in these situations, and that that person would be prosecuted for illegally entering. You know, because someone like that is probably going crossing in the desert, uh, at least in part, um, because they're unable to present themselves at the border and ask for asylum. And there's been weeks of, uh, you could call them backlogs, but they're really just the, the government refusing to allow people to come and present themselves at the border and ask for asylum. That's driving people to cross over into the desert and apply for asylum that way. And that's not everyone, but it's a huge chunk of the people who are crossing uh, in the desert. And you can know that because then they're turning around and turning themselves into Border Patrol. Uh, and, and when that happens, in the past, they weren't prosecuted. And under this new zero tolerance policy, they have been prosecuted. And that's really what, what's creating the problem. So apparently the new executive order says that people charged criminally with federal violations will be detained along with their families. Um, where are they going to put these uh, people? Federal prisons? Uh, Military prisons? So uh, there are already uh, family detention camps. They're really the closest thing our country has seen to internment camps uh, mm -hmm. in, since World War II, where families, mostly from Central America, but actually from other parts of the world as well, have been imprisoned like, together. And this is not 
something that started under the Trump administration. It most recently started under the Obama administration yep. around 2014. Uh, it did also exist for a certain time under George W. Bush, and then they stopped it. Uh, but what they call family detention uh, or family detention camps already exist. There's two of them in Texas, and there's another one in Pennsylvania. And I think one one uh, thing that we could see as a result of this order is that the administration just opens more of these. And this is a very important thing for your listeners to understand. This cause it, it keeps families together, but it does so by imprisoning children. And there's extensive evidence, unsurprisingly, showing that this is very, very damaging psychologically, uh, both to parents and to children. In particular, the fact that children watch as their parents are subordinate to the authority of guards on a day-to-day basis. It destroys the psychological uh, bonds between parents and children. And then obviously, the children are imprisoned. They're living in, a, in either a camp or a closed, walled, uh, you know, lockdown space. It's horrible. And one effect of this uh, order is that it could actually massively increase uh, the amount of family detention camps that are, are now going to be run. The order says the military should look into it, whether there's space where they could open one of these. Um, like there's space in Oxnard and in Oklahoma, uh, Oxnard, California, in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and other places like that that could be used. Uh, and also they, the order asks them to kind of contract and see if they could figure out other ways to, to hold people like this. It's clearly, enough, there's an opportunity here for the private profit-making prison industry to expand its uh, area of activity. There is a in 1997, the courts uh, ruled that children could be held in uh, immigration detention for no more than 20 days. This is called the Flores uh, Settlement. Uh, what is its status right now? Yes, this is a very important piece of the puzzle. Uh, the Flores Settlement remains in place. The government actually earlier uh, under the Trump administration had tried to get out from under that uh, uh, court-enforced settlement and make an exception for it, essentially, to allow it to uh, hold children in uh, these detention facilities for longer than 20 days, and they lost uh, that attempt in court. And then today, actually, they just filed um, another attempt to do the same thing, uh, which is what the uh, executive order directs the government to try to do. So they, I, I do think that uh, it's it's an important limitation on the government's power. I should stress... Um, it only applies, the, the 20-day limitation only applies to facilities if they are not licensed by the state to hold children. Hmm. So like a long-term foster care situation, for example, which the government is contracting with places to run for unaccompanied children. Those often hold children for longer than 20 days, and that's perfectly consistent with the law. Uh, the, the thing that the Flores uh, Agreement prohibits is really k- keeping children in prisons, uh, or in prison camps, like what we see in, in Texas and uh, Pennsylvania. So that's now going to be tested in the courts again. Now, I'm hopeful that the courts will find that there's nothing new here that justifies deviating from that uh, Flores settlement, but, but that remains to be seen. And the Flores settlement of 1997, wasn't that the result of an ACLU lawsuit back, back when you were a teenager? Uh, yes, the the ACLU, the Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law, uh, and other organizations brought that. Actually, the lawsuit, I believe, started in either the late 80s or the early 90s. Uh, it was a very long-running case that eventually uh, led to the to the Flores settlement. 
But uh, yes, it's long, long before my time. And and uh, Obama's history here is is not a not a good one. No, uh, President Obama, as I mentioned earlier, uh, reopened the long dormant system of uh, family detention camps in Texas and in Pennsylvania. They also, the Obama administration, forcefully resisted our attempts to win a right to appointed counsel for children facing deportation. And actually, we went to the Obama administration and said, you should do this. We, we shouldn't have to sue over this. You should appoint lawyers for all of these children who are fleeing primarily these three Central American countries, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, which are three of the most violent countries on Earth. And we know that these children are fleeing uh, extreme violence, and so you should appoint lawyers to make sure that they get fair hearings. And the Obama administration resisted that tooth and nail uh, in the courts, and thus far we have not been successful in winning any right to appoint a counsel for children uh, facing deportation. And the Trump administration, unsurprisingly, has continued that resistance. So, very simple question. How long will families be detained under Trump's new executive order? I think that really remains to be seen. Uh, we could see a situation where uh, at the end of 20 days, uh, if not before, the uh, administration releases uh, families because they're not allowed to permit uh, to, to continue to detain children for longer than that. Uh, we could see a situation where they try and, and either violate or get an exemption from the Flores uh, settlement and try and hold ch- uh, the families together longer. The order says it wants to, to hold, uh, to that is to imprison families together for as long as possible, consistent with uh, governing law. So it, I think they'll try to essentially create a system of indefinite detention for families who are seeking asylum, but hopefully the courts will not permit that. And let, let's talk about what we call uh, Victorville. The day before yesterday, the ACLU filed a lawsuit to gain access to number of detainees in the Vic, in the prison in Victorville, California. Tell us about this suit and where it stands at this hour. Yes, yeah, so this has taken a lot of time uh, for me and others uh, at the ACLU of Southern California just in the last couple of days, over the last week or so. So one result of the quote-unquote zero-tolerance family separation policy is that there were suddenly thousands of new immigrants whom the government wanted to keep in these immigration detention centers, really immigration prisons, and they had no space to do that. So they transferred something like 1,600 people from the border region to prisons, actual prisons in California, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, and Texas, and held immigrants who were not serving time for a crime, and many of them had committed no crime because they presented themselves at the border, but they've held those people in prisons, and they've been doing that now uh, for, we don't know exactly how long, but it seems like something like a month, and uh, we were trying then to get in. We learned that some of them were in the Victorville prison, which is about two hours from uh, Los Angeles, and so we tried to get in. And the Immigrant Defenders Legal Association, which is an organization that provides free legal services to detained immigrants, actually sent their lawyers in to try and get in to see these people. There were also private attorneys who had clients in there because the families had uh, communicated with them, and they were trying to get in. And the the government, the Bureau of Prisons and uh, 
uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement refused access to everyone. Nobody could get into the facility for over a week. And so if the day before yesterday we filed a lawsuit, an emergency request saying you're holding people incommunicado, it's as though it's you were running a black site, yeah. like, but except you're running it in Los Angeles um, and uh, demanded access to this facility. And uh, the court today uh, ordered just hours ago, actually ordered that a judge Otis Wright from the Central District of California, federal judge, uh, ordered the government to provide a phone access for that uh, the attorney to allow the lawyers from Immigrant Defenders Legal Association to get in and and provide trainings, know your rights information to these people. Uh, we had a lawyer get in today, and uh, the things that she described are really horrific. People spent days in almost complete lockdown. Uh, they were fed only cold meals. They were fed them in their cells, not even allowed to come out. Um, to eat in a large, larger area. There's almost no functioning phones. Um, really being held completely incommunicado. It's truly, truly horrific stuff happening right here in our backyard. And is the ACLU's position that these, that these people should be uh, released from federal prison and held under more humane circumstances? Or what, what are we looking for here? Yes, absolutely. I think it's important to recognize as a whole, whether we're talking about these people being held in prisons, even though they're not prisoners, or the family detention camps in Texas, and you know maybe there'll be more elsewhere. In all of these situations, these are people who have either never committed a crime, or the only crime they committed was crossing the border to ask for asylum, which is a minor crime for which, at most, you should receive a very short sentence, if at all, under the existing law. And yet after that, we then are imprisoning them for months and in many cases in the immigration detention system for years. And there's no reason to imprison people when all you're trying to do is make sure that they show up for immigration court. You can easily do that through much, much uh, less uh, brutal methods like putting, having them wear an electronic monitoring device or just having them check in regularly with a, an officer who supervises them uh, or you know, giving them lawyers who will, uh, much, for much, much less money, will make sure that they get to court and present uh, a, a proper defense for asylum if they have one. And yet we continue to really imprison people without trial. It's a massive system of imprisonment without trial that we have for immigrants in this country, people who have done nothing wrong and don't deserve to be in a prison. In the couple of minutes we have left here, I just want to talk about what uh, ordinary people who are not ACLU lawyers can can do or should do about this. Well, with respect to the Victorville situation in particular, we are in need of volunteers. And I say we broadly there. There's a lot of immigration legal services organizations, but the ACLU can certainly be a conduit to those uh, who can uh, connect people who want to uh, provide assistance, whether it's language assistance or even non-legal assistance. We have a need for people now, urgent need, to help a number of uh, immigrants who have been uh, unfairly been unfairly treated in the system. So I would, and you can go to the uh, our webpage at um, ACLU of Southern California. There's a volunteer link there. You can uh, get on a list. We definitely want to try uh, and take people. In addition to that, there's a lot of uh, there's petitions that are um, being circulated. This is all information you can find on the ACLU's website if you do ACLU family separation as a search or um, 
just go to the the front page of either the National ACLU's website or the ACLU of Southern California website, you can see there's um, an urgent need for various kinds of, of uh, volunteering efforts, in addition, of course, to resources, uh, that is, donations and other ways in which uh, people can help. And we'll also note that nationwide events are being organized for June 30th to protest uh, Trump's immigration policies. You can go to the website familiesbelongtogether.org, no spaces, one word, familiesbelongtogether.org to find an event uh, near you. Uh, Ahilan Arul Anatham, thank you so much for your work uh, on this, um, and thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me, John. I really appreciate it. Well, that's it for today's Trump Watch. Let me just repeat that information, that the ACLU has an urgent need for volunteers to help with the immigrants held in Victorville Prison. The way to volunteer is to go to the website of the ACLU of Southern California, aclusocal.org, and click on Volunteers. Also, we want to remind you that you can go to the website familiesbelongtogether.org to learn more about the protests being organized for June 30th. Find an event near you. Uh, I want to thank my other guests today. Harold Meyerson of the American Prospect talked about the Washington politics around the separation of uh, children and immigrant families. Zoe Carpenter of The Nation reported on her visit to a Border Patrol detention center in Texas. Uh, thanks to our engineer, Ricky Herrera. Thanks to our producer, Renee Reynolds. Thanks, as always, to Rai Cooter for our theme music, Mambo Sinuendo. Uh, coming up at four tonight, this is happening. Jerry Quickly will speak with Matt Smith about the medical abuse of immigrant children in detention. Hey, Trump watchers, if you missed part of this show or any of our recent shows, you can listen online anytime you want at trumpwatchpodcast.com. Trump Watch returns next week at the same time on the same station with more talk about what Trump is actually doing, not just what he's tweeting. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. See you.